Welcome to Heard at Heritage. Heard at Heritage features cutting-edge analysis and thought from leading experts in and across the conservative movement, as well as premier events and programming from the Heritage Foundation here in the heart of Washington, D.C., brought straight to you. Thank you for listening to this Heritage Foundation event. Every day, the Heritage Foundation holds important events with respected and influential leaders and policy experts on today's most important issues. Our events are part of our mission to formulate and promote conservative public policies based on the principles of free enterprise, limited government, individual freedom, traditional American values, and strong national defense. We hope you enjoy the program. Welcome. Uh, I'm glad you're all here. Uh, this is an interesting day. There, there are other things to catch our attention going on uh, here in D.C., and uh, we're very glad that you've joined us uh, here at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, this is the launch of what we call the Davies Study. Uh, this is a study that has the power to define uh, the conversations and the debate on the death tax uh, in in this current time frame where, where the death tax uh, has changed as of January 1st. Nobody really knows what it means. You will be the first to know. Uh, I'd like to thank uh, Heritage for inviting us in, really as a partner. They're, they're our equal partners in, in doing this. And Tim Dasher, who put this together. Tim, thank you so much. Uh, I'd like to um, also thank uh, my work partners uh, in this. Uh, Howard Segermark, Howard Wave, and Palmer. Palmer Schoenig, and um, and Alex Ayers is uh, doing uh, good duties back in California, uh, work that he needs to do. But the four of us are are the cohesive team that has launched and sustains this work. Uh, the death tax is one of the core principles of the socialist progressives. I think we know that. They see the death tax as a microcosm of how they want the entire world to be, with the government being the master redistributor of, of property, uh, according to their worldview. And you may or may not know this, but, but this view and this focus on inheritance and government confiscation of inheritance goes all the way back to Karl Marx in point number three of his master plan. So this is something that is very, very much a core of this debate of what this world is going to look like as, as capitalism and socialism is even more than in recent years going head to head. Um, and by the way, uh, I've heard within the last 24 hours, it's not in the form of a uh, bill yet, but Elizabeth Warren is drawing up a bill that will include a 75% death tax. So again, all of this is still very, very much alive. Uh, but as we know right now, the death tax is 40%. The exemption was raised up to $11 million, and that is what we're going to be shining light on today. Uh, Ed Fulner is a great friend and a great encourager. He's opened many doors for us uh, and a great advisor. Uh, you know him, of course, as the founder of uh, Heritage, um, we know him as the chairman of the American Business Defense Foundation uh, Advisory Committee, and he has played that role with us for seven or eight years and uh, has, has just been alongside of us and helped us in so many ways. And, Ed, would you please open our meeting with some words of wisdom and welcome. Thank you, Dixie. 
Thanks very much, Dick. As uh, the senior heritage person here, I have to give you the uh, customary heritage uh, admonition to please mute your cell phones so they don't go off in the middle of the professor's presentation or something. But, Dick, it's a great honor for me to be here to be able to share some thoughts with all of you and with those who are joining us electronically uh, on the important Davies study, uh, which is being released today. Dick Patton and I were present upstairs in a room about 10 or 11 years ago with several senators and House members when we were def trying to figure out how to deal with questions like the estate tax. And it was out of that meeting that we, all of us around the table, said we are not going to call it the estate tax. We're going to call it the death tax because that's, in fact, what it is. And as Dick has uh, been uh, massaged that message, he has come up with uh, uh, no taxation without respiration, which I think is a very, uh, very worthy accompaniment to the definition of the estate tax as the death tax. The intellectual origins, Dick rightly points out, go back a long way to uh, penalizing inherited wealth, to penalizing the whole entrepreneurial spirit that America has always been about. I will say that as one who, alas, will not directly be affected by an increased exemption of the estate tax from uh, above the current level, uh, that nonetheless, in terms of the entrepreneurial spirit, in terms of small and middle-sized enterprises, in terms of family farms and family businesses, this we, we, we have to remember what the, the bedrock of America's economy is. And Dr. Davies' study uh, reminds us of that and brings, as Dick said, these numbers right up to date. It's our very great pleasure here at the Heritage Foundation to welcome everybody here to be able to discuss this in some detail and to share insights and to remind our friends across the street who at the moment seem to be preoccupied with certain other matter in the uh, Dirksen Senate office building, uh, that this is the significant event that's happening today uh, at 10 a.m., and that is the release of this study. So congratulations, Professor. Thank you for for putting, pulling this together. Diana, it's great to see you always. Buff, happy to, happy to have you here. So I'm going to turn it back over to you, Dick, and welcome again to the Heritage Foundation. Dr. Fulner will be leaving a little bit early because he's doing a uh, midday event with the Prime Minister of Kosovo. But, Ed, you've taken time out of your very busy schedule to be here, and, and you've done it so many times for us. Thank you so much. A little bit later, uh, Congressman Jason Smith, who is our champion on death tax repeal, uh, will be joining us. Uh, he's probably hung up a little bit late in traffic. Uh, so I'm going to proceed directly to um, the star of the day, uh, the author of the study, Dr. Anthony Davies. Um, he's the author of The Federal Estate Tax, Family Businesses and Jobs, 2018 and Beyond. Uh, he is a much-published expert on the subject of the death tax uh, and the economy. And, uh, Anthony, you and I have worked uh, together on and off for uh, at least seven years on multiple projects 
And uh, he's exactly the right guy to, to do this study. Anthony, at this time, let me turn your microphone over to you and uh, share your words of wisdom. Thank you. I want to start with the, the common arguments for, um, for and against the estate tax. And, of course, the things that we hear is, well, the estate tax is necessary to prevent the hoarding of wealth. And this is, this is a, a phrase that is the bane of every economics professor everywhere. There is no such thing as the hoarding of wealth although it makes for a nice little phrase if you want to say something like we need to recirculate this this money in some sense. The the other argument that you hear, and, and this tends to be uh, in the argument against the estate tax, is, well, it only collects, uh, collects less than 1% of tax revenue. Of course, that argument cuts both ways. If it only collects less than 1% of tax revenue for the federal government, then it doesn't matter whether you keep it or leave it. And I suggest that these two arguments, all their other flaws aside, miss the whole point of the economic impact of the estate tax. And the real economic impact of the estate tax is not what happens when the estate owner dies. It's what happens while the estate owner is still alive. If the estate owner is also a business owner, then the estate tax reduces this person's incentive to invest in the business. If you're looking at a 40% estate tax and you're talking about a family business that is worth enough to trigger this estate tax, then in effect, every dollar the business owner invests in the business comes with it a 40% surcharge in the form of this estate tax that will eventually have to be paid. And, you know, if there's a second thing that economists would want all their students to know, it's that when you tax something, you get less of it. In effect, you're going to be, the estate tax taxes the investing in existing businesses. Therefore, you will get less investment in existing businesses. Another effect is on the heirs when they inherit this family business. They have now uh, an incentive to liquidate the assets or some of the assets to pay the tax. And this is adding insult to injury because the liquidation value, uh, what they're going to get in, in, in the form of cash when they sell off some of the business's assets, will be less than the assets are worth to the business itself. And the way we know that is that if the assets were worth more than what they're getting, they would have sold them anyway. So the estate tax is forcing them to sell these assets. They're going to have to sell them at what amount to uh, bargain prices. And these assets are part of the productive capital of the business. Now, what I want to do is look at some of the numbers that are involved uh, with the estate tax. And in 2016, between and without having access to actual individual IRS data, we have to estimate these things. But based on IRS data that is available to the public, between 250 and 1,000 uh, filers owed the estate tax in 2016. And people will point to this and say, well, that's not very much, and it isn't very much, 250 to 1,000 filers owing the estate tax. But again, we're looking at the wrong side of the equation. We're looking at those who died. We aren't looking at the effect on those who are still alive. If you assume for simplicity that 
To be a business owner of any caliber, you're going to end up being 55 or older. There are, according to U.S. demographics, 38 times the number of people alive as who died. Therefore, the number of businesses, family businesses, that would owe the estate tax if their owners died is somewhere between 10,000 and 36,000. So we can think of these as the, the businesses that are currently at risk for, uh, from the estate tax. That constitutes, if you go by the numbers, somewhere between the top half percent and one and a half percent of all firms by value. Now, Census Bureau gives us some nice data on employees by firm according to firm value. And if we look at the top one half to one and a half percent of firms, we find that they employ in the U.S. on average between 900 and 2,600 employees each. So if you do the math, what we're talking about here, this 10,000 to 36,000 family businesses that today would owe the estate tax if their owners died, they account for somewhere between 26 and 32 million jobs in the United States. That's 26 to 32, 26 million to 32 million jobs in the U.S. that are at risk due to the estate tax. Now, there's a 1995 survey of um, family businesses. And in this survey, the researchers asked many questions of the family business owners. You know, what are your assets? Um, uh, do you expect to owe the estate tax? How much do you expect to owe? Uh, what will your heirs do when they owe this estate tax? And one of the things that came out of this survey was that 36% of these family businesses anticipated that their heirs would have to liquidate part or all of their businesses to afford to pay the tax uh, that was due. So if we take that 36% and think of it as 36% of businesses that will owe the estate tax will end up liquidating in part or in whole and apply that to our 26 million to 32 million American jobs at risk, we now have 9 to 12 million American jobs that will likely be lost when their owners die and leave the firms to the heirs. Now, median personal income in the U.S., roughly speaking, 31000 Add in uh, benefits, and you're talking, roughly speaking, $40,000 per year per job. Think of that as the median value of an American job. Well, 9 to 12 million jobs that will be lost when the family business owners die, leave the business to the heirs. That translates into, roughly speaking, $360 billion to half a trillion dollars worth of American jobs. $360 billion to half a trillion dollars of income that would be lost due to the loss of those jobs. To put that in, in perspective, the estate tax currently brings in a, about one-twenty-fifth of that. So we're talking about an economic loss due to the estate tax impacting small businesses that is on the order of up to 25 times the tax revenue that the federal government brings in now. Then finally, something important to think about. For, for all of the negative press that corporations get in, in the news and amongst the public, 
the estate tax is a tax that favors corporations to the detriment of family businesses. If I own a family business and I leave it to my heirs, it's subject to this estate tax. The heirs will have to sell off, liquidate part of it, and that leaves the business at best weakened, uh, at worst um, uh, gone entirely. Conversely, if I own stock in a corporation, I leave it to my heirs. Well, the heirs, you know, if, if I leave enough of the stock and it triggers the estate tax, the heirs would have to pay the estate tax. But importantly, the paying of the estate tax in that second scenario has no impact on the corporation. The corporation, if I set, give a bunch of Walmart stock to my heirs that triggers the estate tax, it has no effect on Walmart one way, one way or the other, whether my heirs have to sell off some of this stock to pay the tax. So in effect, what the estate tax is doing on a generation-by-generation basis is weighing the scales in favor of large corporations to the detriment of family businesses. That's all I have. Thank you, Anthony. And that is the springboard for where the discussion and the debates on uh, the estate taxes were moving forward in this new world of uh, the $11 million exemption. Uh, by the way, I'm told that the congressman is in traffic and on his way, so uh, we will defer to him uh, a little bit later, and I'm going to uh, advance directly to a very good friend of mine, a very good friend of ours, Diana Fershka-Roth. Uh, Diana is the Acting Assistant Secretary for Economic Policy at the United States Department of Treasury. Uh, prior to that, she was at the Manhattan Institute and the Hoover Institution. Uh, she has been the chief economist for the United States Department of Labor. Uh, when I first met her, she was the chief of staff of the President's Council of Economic Advisors under George W. Bush. And um, she has been a uh, she's been a stalwart for death tax repeal. Congressman, we, we've got a place for you right here. And if you don't mind, right after Diana, we'll no, proceed no, I to I would, you. of course, like to defer to the Congress. Okay. So you now know who will be speaking after the Congressman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Congressman Jason Smith uh, from Missouri um, is on the House Ways and Means Committee, but he is the designated leader for death tax repeal in the Ways and Means Committee and the House of Representatives. He's the author of H.R. 5422, the Death Tax Repeal Act of 2018. He is a seventh, seventh generation, right, family farmer from, uh, from Missouri, and he's a great American congressman. Thank you. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much. Um, I'm glad you said Missouri correct, um, because it's always this like this debate within our home state, Missouri, Missouri, and no one says Mississippi. They say Mississippi. So you did it right. Um, uh, sorry for the delay. You know, tr D.C. traffic is not like traffic in southeast Missouri. Um, and today is a little bit of an interesting day in Washington, all kinds of things going on. Um, this is very important. This is very important, um, and it's good to good to be with you all. My my congressional district, I think, is a great example of of why we need to completely repeal the death tax. Um, because I represent one of the the poorest congressional districts in the country. The median income household in Southeast Missouri is right at forty thousand dollars a year. 
It's an agriculture-based industry. And if you look at the Boot Hill of Missouri, which is uh, two of the two of the poorest, the top two poorest counties in the state of Missouri out of 114, even worse than the city of St. Louis, are in the Boot Hill. The Boot Hill is rich in agriculture, and it's also um, big in numbers of families that have consistently farmed. The average, the average size cotton farm, which is pretty big down there, we have rice and cotton, corn, soybeans, wheat, but mainly cotton in the Boot Hill of Missouri. The average cotton farm is just over 1,300 acres. That sounds like a lot in Washington, D.C., but that's not a big piece of land when you're, when you're farming. If you just figure 1,300 acres at the average price in southeast Missouri at $10,000 an acre, you're already above the exemption that we were able to double, which was a good improvement, but it wasn't full repeal, which is what, what I believe is the right, right policy that needs to be brought forward. And so when I hear people talk about it's only helping the wealthy, no, those families in southeast Missouri are the families that are land rich but cash poor. Those farms have been passed down from generation to generation. And with the policies that we enforce, we have enforced at the federal level with the death tax, these cotton farmers are going to have to sell portions of their, their acreage just to pay their tax bill. And they're not wealthy people at all. They're just people who believe in living and um, reaping the benefits of the land and trying to cultivate whether it's cotton or corn. And so I like to bring up that perspective of, of why I care about this. And whenever I hear people say that, that you know, it's for the top one percenters or whatever, no, it's about everyone. It's just about fair tax policy, and it's about people being treated fairly and people not losing their family farms. I'm fortunate enough to be the fourth generation owner of my family farm. And I would hate to think that that because of some kind of federal statute, I had to sell a portion of it. I think that would be the most disappointing thing that my great-grandfather would ever, ever imagine. So happy to be here, happy to be part of, um, part of a strong group in repealing the estate tax, the death tax is what I like to say. Um, that's what it is. Uh, so thank you for having me, and I'll – be here to take questions, or do you want me to take questions now, or do you want questions? Or? We'll have questions at the end. Which we'll, we'll do that. Yeah, we can get two more short presentations. So please stay with us, and we will. We'll do it. Thank you. Thank you, Congressman. Everybody needs a champion, and you are ours. Thank you. And by the way, 262 current candidates for House and Senate have signed the death tax repeal pledge. Uh, and every one of them, we have fed the data points of Dr. Davies' study because this is the debate season. We've kept them armed. So now, I've already told you who Diana Fershcott-Roth is. Uh, just as a reminder, she is currently the Acting Assistant Secretary for Economic Policy at the United States Department of Treasury and a very good friend, Diana. 
Thank you very much. I'd like to thank the Heritage Foundation for sponsoring this, for hosting it. I'd like to thank Dick for inviting me. And it's wonderful to see Ed Fellner here. We worked a lot together in the transition. We had desks just very close together. It was a very small, uh, and, and on the campaign too, it was a very small office. And uh, those, were, those were very good days. It's such an honor to be on the panel uh, with uh, Congressman Smith also uh, with Dr. Anthony Davis with his terrific study. And it's very difficult to get data on the estate tax. And it's just wonderful everything that you've managed to do uh, with these data, uh, including uh, uh, going back and applying old uh, measurements to new circumstances. Well, everybody knows that the estate tax penalizes people for being successful and for having property that was already taxed when it was earned. Uh, it slows business activity because heirs have less to invest, uh, and it's the mo most harmful to small businesses and farms. There are many people who can afford uh, lawyers and attorneys to get them out of paying the estate tax. I don't think that Bill Gates worries about paying the estate tax or Warren Buffett. They don't worry about paying the estate tax, even though they have uh, estates far above $11 million, uh, because they can put it in trusts. Uh, and other vehicles that basically avoid payment. But it's um, people such as um, Buff here and uh, constituents of Mr. Smith, those are the ones who cannot afford that legal help, and uh, they are the ones who are in most trouble. And that's why it's really good to have champions on the Hill, such as Mr. Smith, who are standing up for these individuals who cannot afford the lobbyists uh, to come and... Um, uh, work for them on Capitol Hill who cannot afford to have uh, these lawyers to fix the problems. Well, everybody knows that the estate tax discourages savings and investment, which helps economic growth and employment. Uh, the tax incentivizes people to sell today or to break up their farms uh, instead of investing in the future. And discouraging this investment holds down wage growth when money is taken by the government as part of the estate tax, that's less for individuals to invest uh, in the economy and invest in equipment that would make their employees more productive. And it especially hurts people whose, uh, whose investments and whose livelihood is tied up in the land because there's very much of an inflationary component. Someone who is a seventh-generation farmer has found that the value of the asset becomes not just what was purchased today or yesterday, uh, but an inflationary component because we have had so much inflation over these past uh, seven generations. And what's being taxed is inflationary growth and not just uh, real growth. So uh, I think that it's uh, an overwhelming case uh, that the estate tax uh, should be reduced as much as possible. There was a state. We did uh, have a step in raising the amount to uh, 11 million, uh, and that is certainly a uh, first step. Since the Tax uh, Cuts and Jobs Act, the economy has been growing very strongly have an unemployment rate of 3.9%. This morning, the GDP figures for the second quarter, the third revision was announced, 4.2%. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. uh, that's the third revision, so that's basically going to stay uh, the way it is. 
uh, private sector forecasters forecast that the economy is on track uh, to grow at above 3% in the third quarter and at about 3% or above uh, this year. So the economy is doing very well from the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. Uh, but as everybody knows, uh, there's a lot further that it can go. So with that, uh, I will turn it over to Ba. Thank you, Diana. Um, you, and let me just re reiterate, you have been one of our stalwart supporters just through all of these years. And um, we're honored to have you here. Buff Nelson is the owner of the Nelson Family Legacy Group, which is a pretty darn good name for a company when we're talking about the death tax. Uh, Buff has spent 44 years in real estate development at a very high level, management, and uh, and also insurance at amazing uh, projects of amazing size. Uh, for the last 14 years, he has been running his family business. Uh, that is based in Redmond, Washington. Uh, what started for them as a family farm in eastern Washington in 1942 has been carefully managed, assets gathered, invested, reinvested, and is now literally a real estate empire that owns and develops and controls a swathe of, of the land through Redmond, Washington, which many of us know is the world headquarters of a little company called Microsoft. Uh, but Buff, would you uh, just share with us the story of your family and the death tax? And we've heard a lot about the theory of the death tax. Tell us about the reality. Thank you, Dick. <clears throat> Thank you also for having me. I appreciate that very much. Uh, well, good morning. My name is William C. Nelson, but my friends call me Buff. I wish the reason they call me buff is because of my manly physique, but as you can clearly see, that's not the case. Uh, uh, my name uh, came from watching Western soap, well, not soap operas, but Western, you know, items on the TV. And ultimately, one of my favorite programs was called Buffalo Bill. My father is also a Bill. And so my mother, rather than calling each Bill and having me respond rather than my father or vice versa, she started calling me Little Buffalo Bill. And as over time I grew, it just got shortened to buff. Uh, along, uh, along with my four brothers and sisters, I'm an owner of the Nelson Legacy Group. We develop real estate to own in the suburbs of Seattle and the eastern part of Washington State as a legacy for our children. I refer and describe our company as an asset management company. The assets we manage is a portfolio of real estate. This includes shopping centers, office buildings, self-storage buildings, and raw land held for development. The business that we now own is called Nelson Legacy Group, which was founded by my father and mother when they acquired their first property actually in Redmond, Washington a suburb of Seattle, and they built a Texaco service station in 1951. In 1957, our home, we, we also bought our home and family farm called Gunshy Manor, uh, which is also located in Redmond. We moved from Bellevue to Redmond 
And, and just to give you a little salient point about Bellevue and Redmond, Bellevue at the time we lived there had approximately 4,000 people. To now it's well in excess of 250,000 people. When we moved to Redmond in 1957, Redmond had a, a, a gross population, a total population of not 498 people. So we've seen a tremendous change over the course of several years. Today, Redmond uh, has a population of 55,000 people. Its employment base on a daily basis exceeds 150,000 people. So the whole east side of Seattle has seen a tremendous growth. And as Dick and I were talking last night at dinner, Seattle has led the nation in tower cranes for the last four years. I think we currently have an excess of 80 tower cranes on the horizon. So you can see there's a lot still going on in, in the Northwest. Many of the, uh, many of the farms, or I shouldn't say farms, but many of the developments we own, as my parents were adding to their development activity, were mostly small local owned businesses. Upon the death of my dad and my mom in 2004 and 2006, respectively, the business passed to me and my four brothers and sisters. Today, Nelson Legacy Group owns two community centers, each totaling about 200,000 square feet, a four-story office building of approximately 87,000 square feet, a self-storage building of approximately 90,000 square feet, and a raw property we hold for development in downtown Redmond of 22 acres. Our properties are located in Redmond, Kirkland, Leavenworth, Kashmir, and Wenatchee, Washington. Realistically, and as you can see, we're not a large business, but we're proud to be a second-generation family business. My brothers and sisters and I are working diligently to grow the business and pass it on to our 12 children, four of which are mine. None of us are wealthy. Our business is not large enough to relieve my siblings and me from the need to work outside of the business to earn our livings, and it's certainly not large enough to allow our 12 ch children to pursue a life of leisure. We have all developed our own careers. Mine was insurance outside of this business, and our children, who we hope will eventually own this business, are likewise pursuing their own careers. After my uh, mother and father died, my family was able to retain the business. Even so, this was not easy. We sold property, disposed of our parents' investments, borrowed money, and took advantage of the government's Section 6166 deferral program. We hope to pay off the last of our loans in the next year with a final property sale of the farm more than 12 years after our parents' death. Gunshy, as we refer to it dearly, has operated since, as I mentioned earlier, 1957. Gunshy is one of the last farms in the Redmond area. Over the years, our family has raised pulled Hereford cattle, thoroughbred racehorses, and hay at Gunshy. I want to take just a brief moment to bore you with details of Gunshy as respects our horse business. We were actually breeders. We were not the people that actually raised the horses. So we would have the broodmares. We would uh, send them to various sta uh, stallion farms in various parts of the country. It was my mother's business. 
and it was very successful. We had horses that won races, our bloodlines won races all over the country. In 2014, Gunshy was uh, nominated and was put into the Thoroughbred Hall of Fame. In, in addition to uh, Gunshy's agricultural role, it's 127 acres of open green space that are an amenity much enjoyed by, by the neighbors in what has become a developed suburban area. On sale, it's most likely that Gunshy will be converted into a cl cluster housing development. We are a small, a small, strong, a bit small business with strong ties to our communities. Our family members and employees are deeply involved as members, officers, and board members in many community organizations. The Nelson Legacy Group is a donor to local charities whose activities range from helping the homeless, which is quite a problem in Seattle today as it is in a lot of major cities, and we, uh, and helping homeless to Little League Baseball. And we frequently allow our properties to be used for community events, such as in Redmond, Derby Days, uh, Holiday Lights, and various similar activities throughout the course of the year. Having to sell our farm to ultimately solve our, par solve our estate issue is tough. It's extremely difficult, and we had to think of our options and ultimately, we felt it was more prudent to do that than to sell other performing assets. The, if we had sold the property, the primary buyers would have been large REITs, which are headquartered in other cities and have no local ties to our local communities. This would have led, again, more concentration of, of real estate portfolios into larger hands and I would say, and, and which oftentimes do not have to pay uh, estate taxes. And our communities would have lost our participation and contributions of money, time, and space that we make available to them to help support their needs, events, and activities. When family businesses are sold to pay estate taxes, it robs the community like ours of the local resources that add to their vitality. And it creates other disincentives for those who are now willing to take the risks and make the sacrifices necessary to create a new business, a business which they hope to pass on to their children. The heart of this country's economy is not the large tech companies' successes or large family empires, but family businesses like ours that take risks, employ people, and make things happen. Every day, every quarter where we meet as a family board to review our business progress, one of the things we always talk about is taxes. Any decision we make going forward continues to be how do we plan for the death tax and how do we set aside funds to pay for that death tax. And it's about being able to continue our business and to have something that our children can hopefully help them to help pay for education, be good stewards, citizens, and be successful in their own lives. On behalf of my family, myself, I hope you help us and assist us to abolish the death tax. Thank you. Thank you, Buff. Uh, 
so now now would be a time for questions, uh, whether it's about the data, the experiences, the politics. What questions might you have? Carter. things I've always been impressed about with your organization, Dick, is the fact that um, you're able to get so many um, people to or representatives to to sign a pledge to repeal the death tax. But I know that it didn't go through on the last round, and I thought that would be the most hopeful time. Can you kind of give the logistics and what happened, why it did not succeed in this last round? That's a great question. Thank you. Uh, and it really applies to where we are right now and where this dis- discussion goes. Uh, the the Tax Reform Act that started in the White House uh, last year in 2017, as it emerged from the White House, had permanent repeal of the death tax in it. It went on to the House of Representatives and the uh, Ways and Means Committee, and that version had permanent repeal of the death tax in it. Uh, it then came to this side, to the Senate side, and in a, this has been related to me by people who were there, it was a closed room of just Republican senators, and there were two Republican senators, you know, in a world where we've got 51 Republican senators, or 52 at that time, uh, there were two Republican senators who said, if death tax repeal is in it, then I'm not going along with the, the president's tax package. Uh, their, their initials are uh, Susan Collins and Mike Rounds. And um, and because of that, actually the people who were in that room also related to us that if we had had 54 Republican senators instead of 52, the death tax would have died in December. But the margin is that narrow. And I think we all know that in this current electoral season, uh, one of the great opportunities is bringing in more Republican senators. Uh, this could conceivably provide us with the answer to the votes that we need to finally put the death tax in the ground and cover it with dirt. Thanks. Either of these two signed the repeal, signed the uh, pledge to repeal? No, actually, neither had. Uh, Susan Collins is, uh, even though she comes from a family business background, interestingly enough, she has simply decided that she is siding with the redistribution of what she calls too much family wealth. Uh, Mike Rounds comes from another world. He is the 50% owner of the largest insurance company in South Dakota. And the insurance industry makes almost twice as much money off of the death tax as the treasury itself. And so unfortunately, you know, what, what it appears anyway on the surface is that uh, his self-interest overrode uh, the interests of South Dakota's uh, voters and their many farmers as well. Other questions? Bloomberg. (laughs) Um, So I had a question, too, kind of on the politics of it. Um, It seems like by doubling the exemption, it's actually kind of taken a little bit of the wind out of the sails of this, you know, the estate tax repeal effort. Um, I mean, when do you see the likelihood of this being something that that could happen moving forward? Is this more towards the 2025 time frame when some of the individual provisions expire? Um, I guess what's kind of the the thought on that? Congressman. You know, in in Washington, D.C., it seems like that you have to take bites out of the apple to finally eat the whole apple. Um, we wanted full repeal in the House, just like what was mentioned earlier. We had a little bit of a roadblock in the Senate. It seems like that happens a lot. 
um, on the United States Senate. Um, and so we're keep pushing uh, to, to get it done. But as in the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, it's not permanent, even the doubling of the, the exemption. It's 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 temporary for a couple years. So we we have to we have to get it accomplished. So politically, I, I you see overwhelming support in the House of Representatives to get this done. You get overwhelming support from the White House and President Trump in getting it done. We just need to make sure we have uh, a few more supporters in the United States Senate and hopefully in 38 days we will. Well, speaking of taking bites out of the apple, um, the higher the exemption is, the less revenue it brings in. And so from a budget scorecard perspective, it's easier to repeal. Wouldn't you say that? Mm-hmm. I would agree. Maybe we can shrink it bite by bite until we can drown it in a bathtub. Is that what we're saying? We want it gone. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But can I add something to that? Anthony, please. The, um, <clears throat> the, one of the the economic problems that arise with temporary alterations, so if you're, you're going to raise the, the exemption, and, but the exemption is going to be temporary, particularly where the estate tax is concerned, um, business owners are making plans out into the generational level, 10, 20 years, 30 years into the future. A, a temporary uh, raising of the exemption, uh, unless it's going to be temporary to the tune of 50 to 75 years, is not going to alter their behavior. So what you'll get with this temporary raise is a benefit on one hand that while the the exemption is up and a business owner dies, leaves the business to the heirs, the the business is less likely to to fall under the the, the problems of, of having to sell off assets to pay the estate tax. But what you miss is what I, I've argued is the larger picture, which is you haven't changed the the disincentive for business owners to invest in their businesses because they will rightly rightly be anticipating a probability that this exemption is going to go away by the time they, they pass their business on. Other questions? I could I just missed the number of um, people who've signed on to your uh, pledge, um, two hundred something, two hundred sixty-two, sixty-two, and that includes uh, current challengers and yeah, current current candidates for House and Senate. Other questions? We have lunch that has been prepared for us. Uh, you'll find it out here in in the in the hall in the um, uh, in the reception area. Uh, please enjoy that. Thank you so much for joining us, and please join me in thanking every one of our All Star panel and members.